From the great American Pacific Northwest, greetings and welcome, my friends, to this week's edition of the Parachronicle Almanac. I'm Jonathan Hawk. Well, as always, before we get to the news, don't forget to like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on or pass this podcast on to spread the word about our little show, if you wouldn't mind. And we're still looking for stories from you paranormal or otherwise, so give us a call on the Parachronicle hotline at 818-570-0126 if you'd like your story featured on a future episode. That's 818-570-0126. You know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say save it to your contacts because that's that's really what you should do in case you ever see anything out of the ordinary. Or you can always email at hawk at theparachronicle.com. That's H-A-W-K-E at theparachronicle.com and that will go straight to to me. And on that note, let's dive right in. From the Monroe News out of Monroe, Michigan, the Michigan Mutual UFO Network, which records and investigates UFO sightings, reported 233 sightings across Michigan in 2020, including two in Monroe County. Christy Mariano was inside her Detroit Beach home late last Sunday night when she appeared to notice something peculiar outside of her window. Many of her neighbors were outside gawking up at the sky. Taking her dog with her, Mariano went into her backyard to see what all the fuss was about. Well, when she looked up, she couldn't believe what she saw. I saw three big, like really huge lights in the sky and they're dancing around, she said. It was really strange. I was thinking it's not a plane and it wasn't a drone either because it it was really, really low, and when it was passing by the clouds, it kept moving and moving, and the stars were so bright. Mariano said the lights disappeared after exactly 45 minutes. It was so crazy, she said. I never believed in this kind of stuff before, but now I do. Like Mariano, Monroe native Carl Walks wasn't really a believer in flying saucers or little green men, but one night this past October, while he was taking photos of the moon, he stumbled across something he just could not explain. In just one of his pictures, there appeared a bluish-green object floating in the sky. I never did see it when I was taking a picture of it, Walk said. For all I know, it could be something that got stuck on the camera, or really anything. But it's too well-defined to be, and none of my other pictures that I took had it. I took like two pictures right in a row of that same shot, and in one of them it was there, and the other one it wasn't. Mariano and Walks are certainly not the first people who have ever claimed to see a UFO, and they certainly won't be the last. But those who are dedicated to proving that we are not alone in the universe say it's getting much more difficult to separate examples of truly inexplicable phenomenon from the more common cases of mistaken identity. The Michigan Mutual UFO Network, a nonprofit organization that records and investigates UFO sightings, reported 233 sightings across Michigan in 2020 only two of which were located in Monroe County. Both of those cases have been identified, meaning that Michigan MUFON investigators determined a known explanation for the sightings. Many of the 233 reports across the state, and at least one of the local cases reported to Michigan MUFON, were in fact determined to be misidentified Starlink satellites, says Director Bill Konkoleski. The brainchild of Elon Musk, the satellites live in low Earth orbit and are designed to provide global satellite internet access. They've been sort of the bane of our existence since late 2019 because everybody was reported them as flying saucers, Konkoleski explained. It's a chain of satellites. They are in a formation in a single line. It's a cool idea, but they look really eerie and people report them as UFOs. 
While the annual number of UFO sightings reported to Michigan MUFON can fluctuate, Konkoleski said his organization averages around 160 reports each year. He attributed the higher number of reports for 2020 to not only be the Starlink satellites, but the fact that the pandemic kept people at home more often than normal and left them with more time on their hands to pay attention to the world around them. One thing I think I often say is that if the moon disappeared for a month, how many people would notice Konkoleski quipped? I just don't think people are looking up. While there are more logical explanations, of course, for a supposed UFO sighting now than ever before, public interest in extraterrestrial life is at an all-time high thanks, in part, to some recent developments at the federal government level. And as we've noted a few times on this show, in August, the Pentagon formed a task force dedicated to investigating UFOs observed by U.S. military aircraft. And buried in the $2.3 trillion coronavirus relief and government funding bill signed in December by then-President Donald Trump was a stipulation requiring U.S. intelligence agencies to disclose any and all information they have regarding UFOs to Congress within the next six months. You can totally feel it. A lot of moving parts, all moving things in the same directions towards acceptance, Konkoleski said. One is the government's openness about it. Also, the number of planets that are being discovered that are potentially habitable. And that is always increasing. That's another piece of it as well. Neither Mariano nor Walks's experiences were reported to Michigan MUFON, and the organization does not make a determination about any incident without an investigation. But when told about Mariano's experience specifically, Konkoleski said that it sounded intriguing. At the very least, it's a case worthy of investigation, he said. I'd go so far as to say that. And I kind of agree. A lot of interesting things being seen in Michigan. Have you seen anything? If so, send us a note. And this out of KOLD 13 in Arizona, a mystery sound shakes Southern Arizona. Another mystery rumble shook homes and rattled windows across Tucson on Wednesday, February the 3rd. It struck at approximately 12.12 p.m. KOLD 13 have been inundated with hundreds of messages on Facebook. People from near Green Valley all the way to Picture Rocks report feeling or hearing it. One viewer wrote that they felt it on the northwest side of town and would describe it as feeling like a seismic waveform originating from the ground and not the sky. KOLD called the local military installations, including Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, Luke Air Force Base, and the 162nd Fighter Wing. None report any of their aircraft reporting a sonic boom. A check of the U.S. Geological Survey also shows no earthquake activity in Arizona on the 3rd. KOLD also called the Mission Mine in Sahuarita, and there was no blasting at the time. They also called the Asarco Silverbell Mine northwest of Tucson, but they're waiting to hear back. KOLD also called Eric Kaiser at the University of Arizona. He's an assistant professor of global and active source seismology. In the past, these mystery booms or rumbles have registered as seismic activity on the University of Arizona monitors, but they don't register as earthquakes on the USGS seismograms. Local residents have also captured the rumbles on security and doorbell cameras, including one that was uh, profoundly interesting in 2019 by Phil Williams. As of now, no one has ever given a definitive answer as to what is causing this mysterious phenomenon rumbling through Tucson, but KOLD will continue trying to find an answer. Feels like every week or two we're getting a good story from the Charlotte Observer. I think last week, or maybe it was the week before, we got a, actually, I think a couple of UFO stories from that newspaper. Well, this time they're reporting that mysterious packages from China are arriving on doorsteps again, but this time 
It's not seeds. Online merchants obtain your name and address and send you a small package that arrives in a plain brown envelope, unordered, Tom Bartholomew said. This time around, when you open the package, you find a single mask. Bartholomew is the president and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Charlotte. At least seven residents in the Charlotte area have reported receiving the unsolicited mask packages since January 25th, he told McClatchy News in an email, and more have been reported across the country. Mystery face masks started arriving in other parts of the U.S. as early as August, including Texas, Florida, and Virginia, McClatchy News previously reported. The packages resemble the seed packets sent to residents across the U.S. over last summer, which prompted the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services to warn recipients not to plant them. U.S. Department of Agricultural officials identified at least 14 species of the mystery seeds in August, including mustard and cabbage, along with some herbs and roses. About 1,000 seed packets were picked up in North Carolina, according to state agricultural officials. Phil Wilson, director of the Plant and Industry Division at the State Agricultural Department, told McClatchy News they documented who received them and when, and whether they were destroyed or planted, and what they grew into. Some 67 packets were planted, while less than 30 were, were destroyed. Last fall, we encouraged folks not to plant the seeds, Bartholomew said. Same advice this time. Do not wear the masks. You don't know where it came from, you don't know how it was made, and you didn't order it, so throw it away. The unexpected deliveries are part of what's known as a brushing scam in which online merchants will get the names and addresses of people and send them a product, he said. And this is typically done in order to get fake reviews on products on websites like Amazon.com or Alibaba or Walmart to get fake ratings in order to encourage people to buy their products. So keep an eye out for that. And if you find a mask in your mail and you didn't order it, like they said, don't wear it. And this is a follow-up from last week's story around Bigfoot hunting legislation in Oklahoma. Fox News reports Bigfoot hunters beg for creature to be left alone after Oklahoma suggests Bigfoot hunt. Bagging Bigfoot is something upstaters Gary Robusto and Paul Bartholomew can't imagine doing. Not that they don't believe the seven-foot-tall, hairy, man-like creature exists, but they're committed to protecting the elusive beast for the sake of science, especially when others want to put a bounty on his head. Last week, Oklahoma State Representative Justin Humphrey filed a measure that calls on the State Conservation Department to set an annual hunting season to coincide with a Bigfoot Fest in his southeastern district, complete with licenses. He wants a $25,000 bounty for the first to nab Sasquatch alive. Humphrey insists he only wants to bring in tourists, in their cash of course, and emphasizes he doesn't want to kill Bigfoot. Quote, I can promise I am going to be on one of the first hunts, and I guarantee you we will have fun, and that's what it's all about, he told the Oklahoman. That is what we're trying to promote. When New York-based Bigfoot enthusiasts got wind of Humphrey's scheme, they fumed. Quote, Bigfoot should be protected, not shot, Robusta told the Post. These creatures should be preserved in their natural environment. Any kind of new species, like a Bigfoot, even needs the protection of some kind of federal law. Bartholomew called the bounty idea a gimmick and pointed out his hometown of Whitehall, considered the Bigfoot capital of the Northeast by believers, passed legislation that he proposed in the early 2000s, establishing the area as a protective habitat for the Sasquatch and banning, quote, the willful harming of the creature. Also included in the measure is a tribute to Bigfoot's long history in New York, from early sightings by the Algonquin and Iroquois tribes to now. 
He modeled the law, which doesn't include any fines or jail time for violators, after one in Washington State's Scumania County and one in Port Henry, which protects Lake Champlain's Champ, an aquatic monster. Last year, Oklahoma had 104 Bigfoot sightings, lagging behind New York's 113. Both states fall in the middle of state rankings. The Pacific Northwest, of course. Washington State, California, and Oregon top the list. A hunting season is a bad idea all around, certainly for Bigfoot, but also the hunters, Bartholomew said. You could have hunters hurting themselves, shooting a little haphazardly. Robusto, 41, told The Post he has seen a Yeti twice in 2012, not far from the town of Whitehall on the Vermont border, and about a month ago in Albany County, where he lives. The first sighting came on a favorite hiking trail at night. Robusto had a night vision monocular light scoping out wildlife. Instead, he came across a Bigfoot climbing down a tree about 60 feet in front of him. I was watching it, and it blinked at me, he says. His latest sighting was in the woods, too, at about 1 p.m. On the ridgeline stood a Bigfoot. Robusto had a fight-or-flight response. He stayed. And, quote, It was staring right at me. It put the fear of God into me real quick. And he watched it walk away. And finally for this week... My hometown is Los Angeles, California, a land of lost dreams and empty promises, but nevertheless the heart of America's cultural revolution. So I thought it'd be fun to take a look at a few of LA's unusual legends or haunted locations, some of which are cursed, in case you ever have the chance of visiting. Now the first of these locations is the Griffith Park Curse. And people say that Griffith Park is haunted by an old curse. The land once belonged to Spanish soldier José Vicente Feliz, given to him by a Spanish land grant. Now, after his death, the land passed to Maria Ignacia Verdugo, who had wed one of Feliz's sons, and then it passed to her son, Don Antonio Feliz. It is alleged that Don Antonio's friend, Antonio Colonel, tricked Don Antonio Feliz into leaving him the land as Feliz lay on his deathbed. As a result, Feliz's teenage niece, Patronila, cursed the land, saying, A blight shall fall upon the face of this terrestrial paradise. The cattle shall no longer fatten but sicken on its pastures. The fields shall no longer respond to the toil of the tiller. The grand oak shall wither and die. The wrath of heaven and the vengeance of hell shall fall upon this place. However, according to Mike Ebert's Griffith Park Centennial History, it's more likely that journalist Horace Bell invented the supposed curse. Still, some point to the hex when discussing tragedies that have occurred on the land. They include the suicide of Peg Entwistle, an aspiring actor who leapt her death from the H of the Hollywood sign in 1932, and a fire that swept the park in 1933, killing 29 people. And another one of these cursed or haunted locations in LA is the Hotel Cecil. When this Art Deco-style hotel opened in downtown Los Angeles in 1927, it was considered quite posh. However, the Great Depression took its toll and the hotel fell into disrepair. Over time, it would become the stuff of nightmares. Serial killer Richard the Night Stalker Ramirez stayed at the hotel in the 1980s, and Australian killer Jack Unterweger booked a room in the hotel in 1991. During Unterweger's stay in Los Angeles, during which he was on assignment as a journalist, he murdered three women. And this is an odd one that occurred at that same hotel. In 2013, a young Canadian tourist named Elisa Lamb checked in at the hotel but never checked out. Her body was found several days later on the roof in one of the hotel's four water tanks. 
and although her death was ruled an accidental drowning, it is still unclear how she ended up in the tank. These grim incidents, combined with several suicides and the unsolved murder of a woman in her room in 1964, have led many to believe that the hotel is haunted, or home, to some pernicious entity. The hotel is currently undergoing renovations, which may help it to shed its dark past. Doubtful. Really doubtful. And finally, number three is really just about anything to do with Charles Manson. So if you want to scare an Angelino, just mention Charles Manson. The Manson family's crimes were so horrific that they send chills up the spines of people who weren't even born at the time of the Tate and LaBianca murders. Needless to say, locations associated with these events remain notorious, even when the original structures have been demolished. Take the Tate Mansion, for example. That house no longer stands. But Cielo Drive has not lost its reputation. In fact, another resident on that street runs ghost hunts through his own home. Meanwhile, the site of Spawn Ranch, once an old film set where the Manson family hold up, is still home to the Manson Caves in the hills of Simi Valley. That's west of LA. There's also El Coyote, the restaurant where Sharon Tate and friends ate their final meal together before they were murdered by the Manson family. Some say that place is haunted too. Well, that's it. That's all I've got for this week. Don't forget to reach out if you see something unusual in the sky or someplace else. We'd love to hear about it. Or if you have an interesting story to tell, you can call our hotline at 818-570-0126 or find us at www.theparachronicle.com. Please like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on or pass this podcast on to spread the word about our little show to help us grow. And until next time... Keep your eyes to the sky and know that here on Earth and in the universe, we are not alone. For the Parachronicle Almanac, I'm Jonathan Hawke.